1: You're listening to From the Chair, and I'm your host, Mike Hamilton. Join us each episode as we talk to athletic directors from across America. We're going to talk about topics like leadership, career development, issues of the day, and I can promise you we're going to have some fun along the way, too. So sit back, listen in, and let's dive in. Let's go. All right, friends, welcome into this week's episode. I've got something a little different for you this week. You know, Normally, we talk to athletic directors, but on occasion, we have either talked to a legendary athletic director or maybe someone from the industry that has great bearing on what's happening on college campuses. You may remember, we've had Tom McMillan from League One, we've had Patty Phillips from Women Leaders, and we've got some other ones lined up. And today, it's a real honor to have executive director of the WBCA and a friend, Danielle Donahue with me. Danielle, how are you doing?
2: I'm great. It's so good to see you, Mike, and excited for our conversation.
1: Well, I think uh, what your work, uh, let me say this, the, the, the career track that you've been on and then couple that with the work that you're doing, I think that those who listen to this regularly will find it uh, to be very helpful and entertaining and and worth the time to, to sit back and listen. I told you I want to do a quick flyover of your of sort of your career track and then we'll kind of go back and, and ask some questions relevant to some stops along the way. You're a Georgia native. You played basketball at Georgia Tech. You were. Uh, had a number of accolades while, while you were there as a student athlete. I think it's interesting that you have a, a bachelor's degree in engineering. We'll touch on that maybe in just a few minutes. And then you went on to graduate school at the University of Tennessee, and that's where our interaction occurred. First as a GA for Coach Summit, and then as the, the director of basketball operations for a number of years there. At that, after that, uh, I think you had a couple stops, uh, assistant or associate commissioner at the Big East and the American, and then were very much involved with the early stages, early launch of the WNBA's Atlanta Dream Franchise in Atlanta and had a leadership role there for quite some time as well. Obviously, now you're with the WBCA, only the third executive director in WBCA history. I think you come into this role at a time it's, it's at a critical juncture for the future of the sport. And I know we'll talk about that as well. So did I get most of the highlights?
2: You did. Yeah, there, there was a lot there. And uh, as you were going through it, it's just wonderful memories are coming back. And so, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been a wonderful journey so far. And hopefully I have lots of years ahead.
1: Yeah. So I, I do, you know, obviously I'm kind of in a little bit of an interesting position in that, that I was at the University of Tennessee for the time that I was. So I know what a an honor it was to work alongside Pat and to be part of her staff and, I'm curious. Uh, I, I never have asked you this before, but, you know, you, you get a bachelor's degree in engineering and then you you come to the University of Tennessee in the, your graduate uh, assistant role first before becoming the DOBO. You know, I'm, I'm imagining that Pat had a lot of folks that she could choose from to to be her grad assistants. And and obviously, I know you to be extremely bright and uh, on top and uh, top of your game. How did the connection with Coach Summit occur to actually bring you to the University of Tennessee?
2: Well, that's a good question. And not everybody knows this answer. Um, when, when I was a sophomore in high school, that was when recruiting started to really pick up. Um, I was a a multi-sport athlete, but I was hoping to get a scholarship to play basketball in college. And there were other, um, student athletes on my team that wanted to do the same thing. And, and one, uh, one standout student athlete, her name was LaShonda Stevens. She was one of the best players in the nation. And so everybody was excited about LaShonda. And luckily she was my teammate. And as we were beginning the recruiting process, um, when I was a sophomore, we were both sophomores, um, Pat was very clear that she would be offering LaShonda an opportunity to play at Tennessee, but she would not be offering me one, um, that she had other people in mind. And I was so... Uh, I was I was impressed. I was a little hurt, you know, it stung a little bit. I was like, I, I'm still not as good as I can be. Wait, don't make your decision already. I'm just a sophomore. But um, Pat was very direct and I really appreciated that. And I knew um, just from the very beginning of, of getting to know her, um, she was a, a, a wonderfully direct communicator. And she said, you know, I think you can play in college. It just won't be for me. And I wish you great luck. And then as as time went on, fortunately, Uh, LaShonda did have a scholarship at Tennessee. She played for Pat and they won national championships. It was wonderful. Um, I had an opportunity to play at Georgia Tech. I had an incredible collegiate experience. And during that time in the summers, I would go and work Pat's camp. I was a camp coach and I would get to hang out with LaShonda and get to make a little money and um, work her camps. And that's when I got to really know Pat and that's when she actually really got to know me. And so when I was graduating from Georgia Tech with a, a degree in industrial and systems engineering, my mom and I had a conversation about, oh my goodness, what do I want to do? And 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 we really were excited. Uh, my my passion certainly was sports and basketball. Um, my forte was going to be business. And so we wondered, hey, could I could I make basketball my business? And so I called Pat up and I basically begged her for. A, Position. I'd like to be a, a graduate assistant, and she quickly said, um, "But, but I mean, aren't you an engineer? Didn't you graduate with an engineering degree?" And I said, "Well, yes, but, but, but surely that can help you." And she said, uh, "Give me a few weeks. Let me let me think about it, and I'll give you a call back." And it was just a few weeks later uh, she gave me a call back and she said, "Hey, if you want it, I have a graduate assistant position that just opened up." And I'd love to offer it to you, and I just couldn't say yes quick enough. I was like, "Yes, yes, 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 ma'am, I'm there, I'm there." You just tell me when to be there, and uh, and and it was the beginning of a very special time in my life um, getting to work for Pat.
1: No doubt about that, and uh, you know she's she was a special lady. So I think you had the opportunity uh, during your time as director of basketball ops to be a part of six final fours and two national championships while you're at Tennessee, and you know. Um, I I get asked a lot when I'm traveling around the country, Danielle, about Coach Summit. You know, because obviously, folks I know I was at Tennessee for 19 years and had the chance to work alongside of her and consider that an honor. Joan and I talked to Joan Cronin and I, the former uh, women's athletic director uh, at Tennessee, and I talked about this on her podcast. I I think that those who are of us who have worked closely with her know what a special person she was. She could be Henrietta Pat. And she could be Wall Street Pat. Right. And, and I'm, I'm curious as to your experience with you one of the greatest leaders uh, in, in all of, of uh, our, our, the, our stories. Right. It's not just on the basketball court. A true leader. What you saw from her that stood out to you, what you learned from her. Uh, what do you think made her so successful for so long at such a high level?
2: Well, goodness, that is such a, a an amazing question. And I could probably talk for three days about what made Pat summit special. Um, the highlights for me, if I had to boil it down, um, it was it, it was intense. Um, Pat had a, a standard that she emulated, that she expected that was just phenomenal it was it was um she would outwork everybody right and we all were working as hard as we possibly could and and pat would outwork everybody um but it was it was it was an expectation and so she not only made her student athletes better and she saw what they could be she she made her staff better um and she saw what we all could be Um, she was one of the the most um most effective decision makers as I reflect back on working for her than than I you know that that I have ever worked for or been around. Um, one of the things that was really special about Pat is she wanted all of us to tell her what we really saw, whether that was the assistant coaches, what they saw in practice or or on the floor when they were in games and 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 competing. Um, whether it was me in terms of the way her program was, was running, the efficiencies of her program. Um, remember, I did all the planes, trains, and automobiles. I was doing, uh, you know, trying to get everything organized uh, to create an environment for the team and the staff. Um, but what was so special about Pat is she did not want to be around yes people. She wanted to be around people that told her what they really saw. And then as she was making decisions and she, she wanted lots of information, um, she then would be able to make a decision very quickly and very firmly. And then you could go to be- the bank on it. I mean, she didn't change. It was unbelievable. She did not waver. She would pull the trigger and you knew, yep, that's what that, okay. And if it had to do with me, I knew exactly what I, I needed to do. So, you know, reflecting back yeah, there was a great intensity, about working for her, but it was really easy to work for her because she was really a person of her word. She was steadfast. And when she made decisions, um, she she stood firm on them. And so that was a great learning lesson for me. Um, and and then the other learning lesson that was um, that I use to this day, um, it, it actually came from Pat's mentor. Um, Billy Moore uh, was mm-hmm. the nineteen seventy six olympic coach Um, she coached at ucla um, and billy would would come in from time to time and provide counsel and and encouragement to pat and she was around all of us and one time billy actually pulled me aside and she goes danielle you just cannot ask pat all those questions when you go in to meet with her i mean because i would have my notebook and i would have you know all these questions because i would want everything to be perfect And Billy said to me one time, and this was very early in in my ops career, she said, Danielle, I wanna challenge you. Um, You only get to ask Pat two questions a day, period. Are, Are you good enough? Are you smart enough? Can you organize how you serve her enough to where you only ask her two questions a day? And you know what? I did that for many years. And I think that's one of the reasons why Pat and I had such a a wonderful relationship is um, I didn't waste her time. Once I understood what she wanted, I was very efficient. And that was one of the best business skills I could have ever learned. And now working for over 3,500 coaches, if I'm going to talk to one of our coaches or I need to ask them something, You better believe i never ask more than two questions anytime i ever talk to any of our coaches and pat and billy taught me that
1: yeah you can learn a lot through uh sort of opening the door and then listening right so uh i'll I'll share one one little interesting tidbit and you you probably you might even have been aware of this because you were there during the time uh pat and i had let's call it an interesting discussion one time when we were doing the renovation of thompson bowling arena and you know those who know know that tennessee has a a incredible building there on the river twenty five thousand seats at one time and all bright orange and during the renovation process we were adding i don't remember 36 suites and 250 club seats and and reducing capacity but also taking all those orange seats out and putting in black seats and she wanted to have a conversation with me about that and uh she let it be known that she wasn't really excited about that she did not play the I'm Pat Summit national championship coach card but she also but she did let me know hey I don't I don't I'm I'm uh, gonna hold judgment but I don't think this is a, a great decision well uh, you know the rest of the story right we we did the re- arena renovations and it really did create a totally different environment in that building um, you know structurally and visually and to her credit this is again I think this te- is a testimony to the kind of person she was she actually called me up proactively after all that went down and we were in the building for the first time and she just said hey i i want to tell you that you were right and i was wrong and and this was this is incredible and i'm i'm uh, i'm glad you did do it and that you know you you and i had the dialogue we had about it and and so you know she was that kind of person i mean you could i i use the term humility i mean certainly there's this excellence and success and, and there's some bravado that comes with that with some people, but I always found her to be um, very humble about her beginnings, which informed who she became as a coach and and thus as a leader. So sounds like you had some of that same experience.
2: Yeah, I, and I would I I, I that is a um, that's a topic I do remember because I was there and <laughs> and Pat did talk about that. Um, But I'll I'll tell you, I mean, your support and your leadership over that time was was really powerful, along with Joan Cronin's leadership and support and and the building um, did transform. And it's a beautiful place to play. It's powerful when you walk into Thompson Bowling. And um, one of the things I would I would just describe Pat, I mean, she was she was intense. Um, she was very intelligent. She was diligent, all of those sorts of things. But but to your point, the word I would use is approachable. She was always approachable. And some people might be afraid to talk to a legend, right, and to talk to somebody who's at the top, top, top of their craft or the sport. Um, but Pat was always approachable and she wanted to be approachable and she wanted to talk to people and she wanted to participate, right? Some coaches would have said, Oh, go do whatever you think. But no, I mean, Pat wanted to know all the details of just about everything. I mean, she, she really cared and she was an incredible steward of, of the Tennessee uh, women's basketball program um, for, for 38 years and, and really set the standard, I think, um, for the women's game for all coaches. I mean, I hear today as I'm serving our nation of coaches, so many references to Pat's example over so many years. And it really is special for those of us that that, that got to know her personally.
1: Yeah. We're gonna come back to the end of our conversation today and talk a little bit about the Pat Summit Foundation, which I know you're instrumental in founding and and uh, but I wanna I wanna before we get go there, um, I'd very sort of in a short time frame, let's talk a little bit about you You chose to leave Tennessee and go into the conference office environment. And you were at the Big East and you were at the American. I don't know if you had aspirations at the time, maybe you want to be a commissioner. And then and then you eventually work your way back to Atlanta and you're on the forefront of um, the birth of a, of a successful WNBA franchise in the Atlanta Dream. You, you were, again, in a leadership role there for quite some time as well. That segue from you know, being a director of basketball operations, you're on the bench, you're on the university campus, working with one of the greatest coaches of all time, arguably, you know, one of the top couple of women's basketball programs of all time. And then you go into the, the league office, you know, seemingly, you know, it's in a different geographic footprint. And then you eventually turn back to your, I'll call it your home of Atlanta and, and work in professional basketball. Um, the learnings from that period of time, and maybe what, what you saw as your trajectory uh, because I think that may will you know, if you think about it, when we start to talk about the WBCA in just a moment, stacking your career as a student athlete uh, in Atlantic Coast Conference, great school, then you're you're on the staff of a, an elite brand basketball program, then you're in the league office where you're working on your media rights and scheduling and all those kinds of things, and then you return and you're in professional women's basketball. And i think all those inform what you're doing today but i would like your perspective of that segment of your career before we get to the WBA wbca role
2: okay well that was a it was a fun time of of my life and uh, i did learn a lot and I, i'll just uh, you know clarify i i left tennessee um to help start the atlanta dream so that was my my first step out of tennessee i got it in and, reverse
1: i got it yeah
2: and thankfully. Um, that was a project that kind of fell in my lap from a sorority sister. Um, I was a Phi at Georgia Tech, and and she was a businesswoman in Atlanta. And there was a group of of business women in Atlanta that were trying to stand up a team, and so they recruited me to help them. And Pat was supportive of that. Um, and so I was I was helping them while I was still at Tennessee and then they offered me a job and as the great mentor that Pat was, she pushed me out of the nest and she said, um, Danielle, there's nothing more I have for you and I think you can be more. And so, uh, you know, you can always call me and uh, I'll, I'll, I'll be in your corner, and, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to push you out of the nest. And, and so it was, it was an exciting time for me to go to Atlanta. The, the, the Atlanta dream um, was really exciting because I, I grew up in Atlanta, right? It's my hometown. Um, we, we started with, with a blank piece of paper and built this franchise. We had great league support. We had incredible business leaders in Atlanta behind the team. It was a lot of fun. Um, I learned a lot about an expansion draft, which means you start the team with players number six through eleven from all the other teams. So we didn't even have a starter to start the team. And the amazing thing was was we, we were number six in attendance right out of the gates. And then in the second year, we were in the playoffs. And so I think we had something really special. Our head coach and general manager was Mary Nell Metters, Meadors, um, which a lot of Tennessee people will recognize that leader, that former coach, um, very, very uh, decorated coach and amazing mentor for me also. Um, But the Atlanta Dream was really exciting. It was fun to build. Uh, We were changing ownership groups and that's when the Big East came and and recruited me up to Providence, Rhode Island. And and the Big East was an opportunity for me um, where I actually got to serve 16 teams at one time. Um, And one of my coaches was Gino Auriemma. And so people would always ask me, oh my gosh, you know Pat and you know Gino, and what are they like? And what's what's really amazing is they have so many similar qualities. Um, I, I learned very quickly that Gino was so talented, a great businessman, and when I was serving him from the conference office, he was he was wonderful to deal with. He was he was easy for me to deal with. Um, he always responded quickly. He cares about the game. He wanted to grow the game. He was all in to help the Big East be the best that it could be. Uh, so I had a wonderful experience with Gino and all the other coaches that were in the league. That you know, if you want to. Um, talk about star power at the Big East. This was Jeff Walls, Vivian Stringer, Mike Carey, Harry Peretta, Gino Oriema, at this time, Agnes Baronado, um, Quentin Hilsman, uh, uh, Kim Barnes Arico, Terry Mitchell. I mean, we had just wow. unbelievable assortment of coaching talent. And, and I learned very quickly um, how special it was to try to have 16 teams all grow at the same time. Right. And, and that was, it was powerful. And, and the Big East certainly was, um, you know, founded by uh, Dave Gavitt. And certainly that the people in the conference office that, Followed him and um, and and hired me and and that I got to work with. They were incredibly talented um, administrators and executives, and they taught me. They taught me a lot um, as we went through conference realignment. Boy, that was another lesson um, that people could leave and and that um, that change is inevitable, and you have to roll with the change. And uh, we became the American, and 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 after figuring out how to rebrand and reposition those remaining members and, and go out and and get new members. Um, It's, it's amazing for me to see the changes that are happening and and continuing to happen for that matter. Um, But my coaches, when, when I, when I was recruited then to consider the WBCA opportunity, and this was over nine years ago, I can't believe I've been here nine years now. Um, It was the coaches that were, uh, encouraging me to consider this opportunity and and when i interviewed um, i had actually worked with 51 different head coaches and um, now i i get to serve over 3500 and um, i i'm so thankful for it i'm a product of our sport uh, i have been encouraged and poured into by so many incredible coaches and so it's it's fun for me to try to Um, help them all be successful.
1: So there, there are, I would call it two or three things, uh, you know, categories of questions I want to talk about relative to the WBCA. Um, I want to first, first, you may know this, uh, the listenership of this particular podcast is very industry specific. It's not to say that we don't don't have fans of other teams that we don't have folks in leadership roles from different companies and, and, uh, um, industries from around the country, but the listenership is primarily college athletics, as you might imagine. So you're gonna get the chance to speak to athletic directors, senior associate, deputy associate, you know, all through the gamut of folks that work in college athletics. And so uh, I have two or three very specific things I wanna talk about. first is, this is your opportunity to share. You've already mentioned that you have 3,500 coaches that you're working with. The role of the WBCA that the folks who listen to this podcast, hopefully need to understand and resonate with.
2: Yeah. The, the role of the WBCA is, is to certainly serve our coaches and help our coaches be as good as they can be, help them, um, you know, be able to thrive for their careers as coaches, right? We, we have three kind of buckets that we, we work within, um, the first bucket and and we're we're doing this constantly is is providing information and education. You know, we want our coaches to know what is going on, right? And boy, there's a lot going on right now. So, just providing communication lines, providing education for so many different skills the the role of the coach continues to evolve. The the pressures of what our coaches are dealing with continue to evolve. And so we want to make sure we are providing um, encouragement, support, education to help them be their best. Um, A second role is to make sure we are representing the voice of the coach to all the different governing bodies of the sport. So we work um, very closely with the NCAA, um, with the WNBA, with the National High School Federation, with USA Basketball. Um, if, if it's a governing body, we wanna have a great relationship with them and we wanna always provide the perspective of the coach. And certainly it's, it's, it's in order to help those governing bodies have the pulse of the sport and make great decisions. And we wanna be helpful in, in helping the sport continue to evolve and, and, and for everybody to make great decisions. Um, the third thing that we do that, that has been very important over the years is we have a very extensive awards program. And, and the reason we have that is, is so that all of our awards are selected by vote of the coach. So you, you may um, realize you know what a what a big deal to be named the coach of the year because that means your peers, your competitors, actually selected you as the best that year, right? That's huge. Um, the 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 Wade Trophy that's the Heisman in women's basketball, and the Wade Trophy is the oldest and most historic Player of the Year award in our sport. Well, we we. Um, that's our award. <laughs> we shepherd that award. That's that's the award that our coaches are presenting um, to uh, who they believe is the player of the year in Division One. but we also have players of the year in, in every membership division. Um, our All-Americans, right? That is a coveted, coveted award um, that so many student athletes hope to be a, a, an All-American one day and, and and our coaches decide on that. Um, so some of those awards you'll see they 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 carry a great deal of weight. I'm I'm honored to sit in a WBCA seat as I serve on the board of the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame, also on the Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame. You know those Hall of Fames they're looking at at body of work and and what people have accomplished, and so those WBCA awards um, are vital to. Uh, separate the creme de la creme, right, the best from the best. And, and they're, um, they're really respected because they are by vote of the coach. So the WBCA mm-hmm. does all of that. Um, our role continues to evolve. And, and our goal certainly is to make sure that um, we are as helpful as we possibly can be to all the coaches.
1: Great. So um, I'm gonna. This is your two, or three questions. I'm just gonna stack together for a minute. Um, you know, the, the growing success of women's basketball uh, certainly well documented over the last uh, you know few decades now. Uh, but in that, having said that, there were um, some inequities that began to bubble to the surface during COVID, particularly relative to the women's basketball Final Four. And I think that if if nothing else, at least it has it has brought to light. Hey, this needs to be given greater attention. Uh, this is this is that these women are performing at an extremely high level. Uh, there is a there is a very um, a market that's very interested in the sport and the by all rights, there needs to be a more equitable treatment of the student athletes in these championship and other environments for that matter. So you've got the I want you to address the the perceived inequities and how the progress is being made with what the NCAA done has done to review that. And then I would like for you to comment if you would. There was speculation for some time relative to do, does the women's final four and the men's final four play on opposite weekends that they play the same weekend, same place, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Your perspective on that is that that has seemingly started to iron itself out. And then um, this notion of the NCAA breaking apart the the multimedia rights or the media rights for uh, basketball versus women's basketball versus including it in the uh, you know the bigger ball of multiple sports in the negotiation process that's a lot but but uh, you know i know you've got i know you have opinions on that so i'd love to hear it
2: well i i do and i'll, I'll try to be as as succinct as i can be um so the the perceived inequities um There was a media explosion coming out of of the 2021 championship for both men's and women's division one basketball championships. Right. Um, And that media explosion, I think, was largely due to different student athlete experiences. and, and there was a, a response from the NCAA. There, there was the gender equity report done by the Kaplan-Hecker-Fink uh, law firm. There was the Ed Desser media report um, and media valuation that was, that was kind of an appendix of the Kaplan report. Um, some of those reviews led to, to data and information that needed to be reviewed. And so the WBCA certainly was very interested um, we we wanted to be supportive of our coaches throughout this whole time period, and we also wanted to be a a, a resource um, and a partner to the NCAA to to help some of these things be addressed as quickly as possible. And so we wanted to um, to help as quickly <laughs> as we could. Um, I will say that there there have been lots of people that have been involved. Lots of committees throughout the NCAA have looked at all these recommendations and some very good work has been done very quickly. Um, within a year, um, we saw in Minneapolis in, in 2022 um, a a equitable student athlete experience for men and women. We saw greater marketing and branding. We saw the women's tournament go to a 68 team field. Um, We saw the officials have the same payments. Um, We saw uh, the use of March Madness for the women. Um, All of those things were were very well received and and were a powerful uh, presentation to our country and to the fans and to the student athletes and everybody on campus um, of the power of working together and and actually um, providing a unified front um, for men and women. And, And so I think it was very well received. We were extremely pleased with all the work that the NCAA um, has done to this point, um, I would say that we we do not believe it's it's finished yet. There, there's still more to do, certainly. Um, but to for all that was done in one year, it was amazing and 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 quite an accomplishment. Now, um, you mentioned the the broadcast agreement. That is a huge business opportunity um, that we believe. Could provide a couple of things. You know, one, depending on how it's negotiated, uh, the DESER media valuation seemed to recommend that that the women's tournament possibly could stand alone in a media agreement, um, as opposed to being coupled with, with a number of other sports as it is right now. Um, and that the value, the market value of the women's championship is, is far higher um, than it was being valued currently. And so that's a real opportunity in this negotiation to, uh, to realize what that market value could be. Uh, we believe that there's, there's another business opportunity that could be tied to that um, broadcast negotiation, and that's the unit distribution for basketball success in the tournament. Um, everybody uh, is probably very familiar that on the men's side, the men, um, men's tournament provides uh, unit distribution as as teams get to participate in the men's tournament and certainly advance and there's not one of those on the women's side. We believe there should be one, and, and the opportunity maybe to open up those funds could be part of this negotiation and bringing in a new pool of money um, from the tournament, from the women's tournament. And then that unit distribution, from the WBCA's perspective, we're, we're not necessarily asking that it be equal, but we're asking that it be meaningful. Um, we do believe that the, that unit distribution is, is a signal um, to to in a waterfall effect to invest in women's basketball and also hopefully those those funds could trickle down um to the campus uh environment and and we still have lots of women's basketball coaches that are making fractions of what their male counterparts are making at some schools and so we do believe this unit distribution could help um a continued increase in investment in the sport and certainly um, provide even greater opportunities in the future.
1: Mm. Don't you think um, that also could perhaps have tangent effects on perceived value of women's basketball student athletes NIL?
2: yes and and when when we're talking about nil or the the wild wild west as we know it right now um, the numbers that i've seen women's basketball student athletes are really knocking it out of the park in terms of their social media followings and 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 people are very interested in having women's basketball student athletes be influencers for their brands um, so as, as the women's game continues to, um, to elevate, as more people are more aware of the incredible talent in our student athletes, um, I think there is even a greater recognition of the, the huge following so many of them have um, on social media and then certainly in their communities. So yes, I, I think it could absolutely increase um, the NIL value of, of many of our student athletes.
1: Mm, that's good stuff. All right, so let's wrap with a conversation about the Pat Summit Foundation for a moment, because um, you were one of the founders of that um, foundation. Um, I've heard some say that Pat even had a conversation with you about this uh, notion of at, at some point uh, during her um her time after she found out what she was facing. Um, the organization, Alzheimer's is a, is a, is a very real thing. Uh, my, you know, I have, both of my grandmothers um, had um, long lasting effects from that before we lost them. Uh, so I've seen the the hard side of that. Early onset, someone like Pat, I mean, by all measures, I mean, can you even imagine the, the number of games she would have continued to win, perhaps other banners she would have hung were um, mm-hmm. it not for the effect of, of Alzheimer's. So maybe a little bit about the genesis of the organization, what the organization is trying to do. Uh, I know it's heavily research and education focused, I think, but I, you clarify that if I'm wrong. And then maybe some wins that you see in the progress um, as as you now reflect on the work that's been done over these last few years.
2: Yeah, thanks for that question, Mike. And. Um, I, I remember the time well uh, when Pat was diagnosed and 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 Pat was so uh, transparent about her diagnosis with everyone it was it was truly courageous and and, and amazing and and I know many of us were just devastated and um, it was a, a very emotional time for everybody who loved Pat for sure um once she was diagnosed i I did start to travel Uh, at at this time i was at the big east um and i was the associate commissioner for women's basketball there when pat was diagnosed and so i I used to travel um once a month to go and visit with pat um just to be able to hear from her uh, about what she wanted um about the the concept of of creating a foundation um how, how she wanted um, the foundation to work, um, you know, what was important to her, all those sorts of things. I, I wanted to make sure that I could serve her in that moment. And, um, and we did discuss starting uh, a foundation, a nonprofit entity that would fight in her name long after she could. Um, there were four of us uh, in the initial conversation. It was Pat and her son, Tyler and um adam waller and me and um we we wanted to make sure that we were um embarking on something that could happen and that pat ultimately would be very proud of um very quickly we uh we we wanted to be surrounded with some great talent and great leaders and um we went and, and talked with um, Jim Haslam to be our first chair of the board. Um, and Mr. Haslam was gracious and said, absolutely. Um, we talked to Joan Cronin very fast. Joan um, is a force uh, nationally and loves Pat and, and has continued to be a tremendous leader for the foundation. Um, but Pat's vision as, as we were getting started, she, she cared about three things. Um, one was she wanted to go after the cure, period. Um, Pat was competitive and she was like, somehow this thing needs to go after the cure. Um, number two, she wanted to serve the actual patient that was going through this. And then number three, she also wanted to support the caregivers because she was beginning to learn the incredible weight uh, of the caregivers in, in caring for someone that they love that was dealing with this. Um, the foundation was started and, and that's how we launched um, it. We launched at the beginning of, of her last season at the Baylor game, um, and she coached one more season and then she retired. Um, pretty quickly afterwards, You know, one of the strategic initiatives was to work closely with UT Hospital in the formation of the Pat Summit Clinic. That clinic is doing great work today. Um, there are scientists there um, that are doing exactly what pat wanted going after the cure um, caring for the people who need help and helping the caregivers and so and supporting the caregivers and so um the foundation is something that I, I certainly, I, I serve on the board now. Um, I want to be as supportive as I can be, but I'm, I'm not in the weeds. Um, but I, I certainly gave Pat my, my lifetime commitment to um, guard her legacy and her name and um, my job is to just make sure whatever happens is authentic to her and and to what she would have wanted. And I know she would be incredibly proud um, of what the Pat Summit Foundation has accomplished to date. And I know we have many more um, mountains to climb and 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 people to serve. Um, now, another exciting thing that the foundation is doing is 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 giving out lots of grants and continuing to support the caregivers. And recently, for the Pat Summit Foundation, the foundation has now started to award a number of grants. And these grants include uh, places that are doing great work in Tennessee and in other states. And so the, the foundation is beginning to truly expand its footprint in hopes, also, this was Pat's vision, to make sure that we're serving the full country, Um, that it's not necessarily just East Tennessee. We wanted to start in serving East Tennessee, of course, but we wanted to make sure that it was a national impact. It's a national effort. Um, And through our great relationships that Pat began, um, and also that the people at the foundation have continued, there are lots of communication lines between different clinics all over the country to try to share information and understand research, and trying to make sure that that we have a united effort um, in the continued fight against Alzheimer's.
1: Yeah, so just real quickly, I'm interested the role of the We Back Pat Games in all this.
2: Yeah, We Back Pat was something actually that started at Tennessee and then grew um, because of of so many people loving Pat and wanting to support her and, and her fight. Um, it was quickly picked up by the Southeastern Conference and then um, nationally. And so those games are, are largely just awareness, um, showing that everyone cares and that people are still wanting to um to fight this disease i think there are ways in which people could support the pat summit foundation um, information is on the website certainly patsummit.org i'll throw that in there um, but also pat it was also very supportive of people contributing to their local community um, people there's great work uh, all over the country that people are doing uh, in fighting this this terrible disease and as our as our baby boomers are aging, um, there are more and more people that are being diagnosed. And so it will take all of us um, to try to make a, a positive impact in in fighting.
1: Well, I do know that it affects so many lives and hopefully folks will go online and, and see what they can uh, learn about the work of the organization. And Danielle, just real quickly for you, um, is it WBCA.org?
0: Is
2: that yes, your
0: All right. If if, uh, you want to learn
2: more about the WBCA, wbca wbca.org. My information is on the website. I always love a good conversation with anyone who uh, wants to learn more. And certainly for all the athletics directors and athletics administrators out there, um, we're here to serve your women's basketball coaches. I hope that you will entrust them with us. Um, and encourage them to be members and certainly we want them to have great relationships with you um, and we look forward to uh, helping them throughout their full coaching journey.
1: All right this has been a great session as I knew it would be. Lots of information here uh, and uh, uh, you shared uh, some significant things relative to the game and obviously with uh, the the Pat Summit Foundation. Thanks so much for being with me Danielle.
2: It was always fun to see you Mike. Great to see you.
1: Likewise. All right, folks, you've been listening From the Chair. I'm your host, Mike Hamilton. A reminder again that you can watch these episodes each and every week on YouTube or throughout the year as they're they're, uh, in the library there. We also invite you to listen on the audio version of this podcast available across all of your audio podcast platforms. We've done over 65 of these now, some great sessions out there, and this will be one of those that you'll want to earmark. Again, our guest, Daniel Donahue from the WBCA, and we'll see you next time.